If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of California Underground. We have with us here tonight a huge guest, State Senator Brian Dolly, running for governor of California, the entire state, not just, you know, he's running for the biggest state, one of the biggest states in the entire country. Very excited to have him on. He is the Republican candidate running against Gavin Newsom in this race, one-on-one, no recall, no 30 people, no jokers coming out of the woodworks. He's the real deal. He's here. He's running against Gavin Newsom. Very lucky to have him on tonight. And uh, we're going to have a full show asking him lots of questions about policy, thoughts on California. And uh, yeah, Senator, welcome to the show. How are you tonight? I'm great. Thanks, Phil, for having me on. Cynthia, good to, good to see your smiling face. Uh, yeah, we are out on the campaign trail. So uh, it's awesome with technology where we can just throw up an iPad and uh, be able to talk to uh you know, possibly thousands of people. It's awesome. I love it. And I'm, I'm glad you, uh, we got the opportunity to connect. Yeah. So are we, and that's how we like to do it. And, uh, Cynthia, my trusty co-host, welcome. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Uh, Senator, thank you so much for taking the time. I know, you know, it's, it was busy with the session and then, you know, being on the campaign trail, it's really no joke. Uh, full disclosure, I'm a, state party delegate and i voted for you to get the endorsement for the state party so yeah and we actually um i work for dan hom so you know met you you know while you're on the campaign trail before the primary so really great to see you again we're very blessed to have you and we're excited to you know for our audience to get to know you well thanks for your help at convention it was obviously uh, something that hasn't happened in a long time uh, since meg whitman and so it was a historic moment really helped me uh, get through the primary i appreciate it thank you so you've been in politics for a long time um, and us down here in Southern California, I'm going to jump right into a lot of people who I know down here in Southern California said, who's Brian Dolly? Um, so why don't we start there? I know there's a good story about a pickle jar and your grandfather. <laughs> um, so why don't we just get out and let people know who you are, where you came from and how you kind of got started in politics? Well, so the Dallies came to California in the Great Depression, my grandfather actually came to California looking for a job, uh, 1929. And he was started out in LA, didn't find any work, ended up up north. He had an uncle in Shasta County, he went to visit him and they said, hey, you're a veteran, he's a World War I veteran. They're giving out land grants in Siskiyou County. You should go up and uh, see if you can get a piece of land. So he did go up there, he put his name in a pickle jar, they drew his name out and our family received an 80 acre homestead in Tule Lake, California, in 1929, he paid the taxes, built a one-room house, moved his wife then and two children into the home, and paid. And we got the land, so we had we had that land for. Uh, so that was our start in California. We bought some land in Lassen County in 1942, uh, and so we've been farming in California for 92 years. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt signed the deed to the property after we paid the taxes. I have a copy of that. It's pretty cool. Uh, but I got in. Paul, let's talk about where. Where Brian Daly started out. So high school education, very involved in my community. I worked construction and, and did a lot of things when I was younger, but uh, I ran for the Board of Supervisors in my county at the age of 29. I actually took office when I was 30, served 16 years on the Board of Supervisors. I uh, left our county to run for the assembly in 2011 
And when I left my county, it was completely debt-free. Our pensions were funded. Uh, we owned everything. It was pretty neat. It's very rare that that happens. Most counties have a lot of bond debt or pension debt. Uh, so anyway, running for this, people said, you should run for a higher office. Uh, I'm a farmer. I should say that. I farmed that whole time. I have a seed business. We, we raise cereal grains for seed, uh, wheat, barley, oats, rye, peas. Uh, it's certified organic, and we sell it to other farmers. My son, oldest son, Chase, is running our farm right now and our business for us, doing a great job, very proud of him. I have a middle son, Reagan, who is uh, living with us in Sacramento. He, they both went to Cal Poly San Luis. Uh, during COVID, was really rough. Uh, Chase came back home. He still has a, about a half a year to finish. Reagan then moved to uh, Sacramento. He's going to William Jessup. Took some time off. He's helping me on the campaign trail. We have a daughter, Rosalind, who is 12 who goes to school in Sacramento, and my wife, Megan, by the way, I, when I ran for the state uh, Senate, she took my place in the Assembly. So served 16 years on the Board of Supervisors, six and a half years in the State Assembly, four in the Senate. My wife took my place in the Assembly. So we're all in. Uh, we're not leaving California. That's why I'm running for governor. Been inside the Capitol for 10 years, working on trying to just bring some common sense to our legislature and keep businesses and people in California that's our goal. We don't want to leave. We're not leaving and we're in the fight. And that's why I'm running for governor. So that's I wanna, it. Yeah, I, I want to touch on this real quick. Um, and this is something that I talk about a lot with my listeners. You started local. You know, you started your political career local. You, you see so many times people jump into the fray and they say, oh, I, I want to get into politics. I'm going to run for Congress. And they have no experience in politics. They've never done it before. They think the way to save California is I have to go to Washington, D.C. And I always say, no, don't don't go to Washington, D.C. I always say start local city council, county supervisors, because if you have a good county supervisor board, that can make the whole difference from insulating yourself from the craziness of Sacramento. Um Talk to us a little bit about how important it is to get started in local politics and how important local politics are in California. I'm, you're breaking up on me, but can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we, we can, can hear, you. hear you. Yeah, so um, very important, I think. You, you know, all politics are local. I think there was a president that actually coined that phrase. I can't remember which one, but. You know, at the local level, you deal with land use decisions. You learn how you know, local government works. Um, it's a five-person board. The only thing you have to count to in the supervisors is a three to get something done. Uh, so I served 16 years. I learned a lot about, you know, how the state actually impacts the local level. And that's why I ran for the state and didn't run for Congress, because my problems aren't in Washington, D.C. for my business. They're right here in California. California is strangling my community, my neighbors, our business. Californians. And so that's why I went to the state legislature was because most of my issues are at the at the local level or the state level. Uh, so and I also felt that, you know, a lot of uh, Republicans in California are can go beat the drum as a Republican. And, and I have a Republican district, but really don't dig in and aren't required to actually work real hard to get things done for your for your for your county. And I knew I knew that as a county supervisor, very frustrated. So when I went to Sacramento, I took a little different approach than most legislators. I reached out to the Democrats. I sent an email to every one of them asking them to come to my district. Remember, I live four and a half hours past Sacramento North. 
it's a forgotten part of California. It's a beautiful part. 60% of the water for California comes from there. Our forests are burning. But most of the legislators had never been past Sacramento from Southern California. So over the 10 years, I've had 127 legislators to my district, the speaker, the pro tem. I invited Gavin Newsom when he was the a lieutenant governor to come up to uh, our farm or and to my area to go fishing. I know he likes to fish. Uh, he never took me up on it, but uh, many of them came, 127. Then likewise, I went to their districts as well and learned about their issues. And it's amazing to find out that we have a lot in common. So let me give you an example real quick. Uh, I went to Reggie Jones-Sawyer's district. He represents USC, or he did at the time redistrict. He may have changed that some. We, we represented USC, you know, space shuttles there. I toured the campus with him. I toured the space shuttle. Then we went to another part of his district, which is Florence and Normandy, where the Rodney King riots happened. And, um, you know, saw a whole different side of what he's dealing with in his district. And when he came to my district, you know, it's very rural. But we have poor people, just like he has. They're, they're obviously different color, um, but they're poor. And so we realized that boys and men of color are faced with the same issues no matter where you're in the state. In my district... Uh, young men, Native Americans, 18 to 25. The highest suicide rate in California is Native Americans, 18 to 25. In his district, they're black, young black men. So we work together on boys and men of color. We ask for uh, appropriations to fund and get counseling for those groups. And uh, we educated also uh, their, their communities uh, through the Boys and Men of Color Caucus. So there's one example of an opportunity where Los Angeles and and uh, Redding or, or Siskiyou County have something in common. And it's, it's, it's that way for homelessness. It's that way for housing. It's that way for energy costs. When you really break it down, it doesn't matter where you're in California. We are really faced with the same problems. We have a different approach. Now, Reggie and I don't see eye to eye on public safety at all. He believes we should let everybody out of jail. I don't believe that's a good way. But we set that in the parking lot and we work on the things that we should, we should that we agree on. And so I took that approach. I've done very well in educating members about our watersheds, our wildlife, our fires, our water system, drought environment. As a farmer, I'm very concerned about the environment. I'm an environmentalist. I, I say I'm the original environmentalist. We take care of our land. And so I educate them and I pass many pieces of legislation on the environment uh, to actually focus on what's emitting carbon like forest fire and um, you know how to, how to get more water out of our forest by actually uh, cutting trees down, not all of them, but thinning out our forest. So those are a few examples of why local level uh, learning to work with people has is, is worked at the, at the state level. And we need more of that, quite frankly, in California and at the national level. We're so polarized from, you know, each, each people, each side's in their camps. And there's a whole lot of people in the middle that just want government to do what it's supposed to do. Keep them safe, build infrastructure, have a good school, make sure that they can stay in business and stay in California. So that's the approach I've taken. It's paid off very well. I have a lot of friends across the aisle. Disagree, but it's not personal. So I know you have a great voting record. Um, you have like 10 years, so people can take that opportunity to check where you stand on the issues. So you speak about, you know, you actually do have great relationships and it's possible to work across the aisle. Do, how many bills have you successfully gotten signed into law? Because if we get into it, it's very easy to introduce bills. Um, I know there's that process where, you know, the votes might come short. How successful have you been as far as legislating, getting things that you wanted done, like signed into law? You know, I don't know the number, but it's probably 25 or so, something like that, bills that have been passed. But more importantly, I worked on really big pieces of legislation that don't have my name on it um, because I'm somebody who can 
manipulate or, or bring a point of view and change the language in a piece of legislation. So, for example, balanced billing was a huge bill. That's people who uh, go to the doctor and they their anesthesiologist was not in their network, their, their healthcare network, and they were getting the bill. It was not right. It happened to people in my district. And the bill died. It was actually a Rob Bonta bill, uh, our, our attorney general's bill, and it died. And I supported the bill. Um, nobody lobbied me on it because they just thought that Republicans were against it. I actually liked the bill. And the next year we came back and we did a we sat down bipartisan 15 meetings with the doctors and the health plans and actually hammered out a bill that both sides uh, agreed on. That it saved them money on attorneys. And we passed that law, helped our constituents not have to pay the bill. And eventually that law went to the national level and they did it at the national level as well saving hundreds of millions of dollars for rate payers for their health care and for doctors and, and the attorneys were the ones that lost. It was a great bill. So that's a bill that doesn't have my name on it. I was a co-author, uh, but I actually brokered it because I brought Republicans to the table to get the job done. And I, have, I can tell you there's many times that I've done that on lots of pieces of legislation uh, that don't have my name on it. And you know, Ronald Reagan used to say that it doesn't matter who gets the credit. It's a matter of who, who wants to get in and do the work. That's who I am. I'm a policy guy. I like to do the work and I don't need the credit. I just want to help my constituents. You touched, you just said something that uh, kind of rings true to me, which is I wouldn't use the word manipulate. I think the, the way language is used in politics is incredibly important. Um, and I always talk about how you can, you can talk with people across the aisle, learn how to kind of speak their language learn how to kind of connect with people. And and that bill sounds like a perfect example of where it's the same core goal, but because it was worded differently, people got on board from both sides. And in California, I feel like there is this disconnect of polarization where one side is always throwing bombs at the other and saying, well, you're a socialist and I don't want to listen to you. Ah, you're a right-wing fascist. I don't want to listen to you. And then it's really like you said, there's a lot of people in the middle. Once you start to talk to them and start to speak each other's language that all of a sudden people go, Hey, I like what this guy's saying. Like if someone were to listen to you and hear a, a lot of your policies, I've listened to your interviews, they would probably say, I like what this guy's saying. And I think maybe the Republican party on a whole needs to get better at that. Um, maybe you can help them with that, but um, talk well, about how, talking to people about these kitchen table politics and speaking in their language helps you get across the aisle and get things done. So the other thing you should know, Phil and Cynthia, is, is that, you know, you get judged on your vote, but there's a thousand things moving to get one thing done, especially as a Republican in, in Sacramento. So if you really want to serve your people, sometimes you negotiate a really bad bill to be less bad mm. because mm -hmm. It's going to pass in a bad way. And if you negotiate, you can you can. So let me give you an example. So the prop one water bond, which. I was opposed to originally, and it was because I didn't feel that it had any uh, money in it for storage. And so but they needed votes. They didn't have the votes to get it on the ballot. And so I said, look, if you want to put money and, and dedicate that money to storage of water, I can vote for that. So I negotiated in good faith and they we put the language in and I voted for that bill. And unfortunately, 
this is the crazy thing. My whole district voted against it, but overwhelmingly voted mm. against the bill. But California as a whole, now remember, I come where there's a lot of, of, of the, the headwaters for California, 60% comes from my district. So people in my district are like, why would I want to pay for it? But California as a whole needs to store water. So the Delta needs water for fish, the farmers need water for farming, and the people need water for their homes. And so I negotiated that. I knew it was going to pass, and I was able to put in there for storage. So that's an example. Now, I got beat up for it in my own district, but it was a right, in my mind, it was the right thing to do. And I'm willing to take those votes and defend those votes because I think it's good for California. We need to do those things. And that's on a host of bills. A lot of times people like, you know, call me a rhino or call me whatever they want to call me, which is okay with me because I'm actually in there doing it. And it's not as easy as just, you know, people go, you need to go do this, Brian. And, and it's become a, somewhat of a, uh, maybe I, I, you know, so I say, I've been elected 26 years, 16 years in the Board of Supervisors, 10 years in the Assembly. And people go, Brian, you know what you need to do? And I, and I go, oh, gosh, finally somebody's going to tell me. I've been here 26 years and I have no idea what's going on. Will you please tell me what I need to do? Because I'm, I've just been lost. And, you know, being actually sarcastic because they don't understand that there's so many moving pieces to get something done. And I'm doing the best I can. And I can defend every vote if you give me the time to tell you what was happening at the time of that vote. And if that happens, I, I will win them over. But typically, there's a soundbite, there's a click on their phone, there's a like or dislike, and they're, they see one thing, and that's it. There's a whole lot of other things moving. And if you give me time, I can defend those votes. And people come to me and say, AB 7044, whatever number. And you know, I've been there 10 years. There's been 10 AB 744s, 10 AB1s, 10, you know, 10 SB1s. And so I can't remember the number of a bill. I can't remember my own, to be honest with you. I mean, I remember my first really significant bill was AB 744 because it was like it was a monumental bill to help do forestry. And I got it done with some help from some Democrats who had been to my district and understood what I was talking about. So if you give me an opportunity, I can defend those votes and I can tell you what was happening at the time and my experience in what in what's happening. For example, broadband is very lacking in my communities and I voted for a fee and everybody's freaked out because they say, you know, it's a tax. Well, it, it's, it, it is a fee is a tax as well, but it goes to underserved areas that are paying that don't get those services. So mm. I, I made those decisions and because I know it will change the communities, the outlying communities in California, it'll change the inner city kids. And that's a vote that I'm willing to take to and I will defend it because I know it's the right thing to do so we can get we can have an upward mobility for poor people. And that's what I'm about. So, so let's you speak jump into, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Cynthia. Oh, oh thank you. Um, so you, you obviously have done so many great things behind the scenes and you don't get the credit that you deserve about it. Um, one fun fact I think people should know this before you got a promotion from your district to be a state senator, you were the assembly leader for the Republicans. How was yeah. your experience doing that? Yeah, I was chosen by my colleagues to be the Republican leader. You know, and I, my goal, my job was to get more Republicans in office. And in California, it's difficult. I will tell you, most Republicans don't understand. We don't. Our party is really um, uh, it's fractured. And what what I mean by that, there's the assemblies working for the assembly members. The Senate is working for the Senate members. The congressional guys are working for the congressional guys. And we get we're in California. It's a blue state, so we've been losing. It's been tough. We have a very difficult time raising money. And, and some of that's our own fault. We've, put up, we've had candidates in safe 
Republican districts who don't do anything, don't take care of their constituents, and they're and the people are frustrated. So, um, my job was to go out and raise money and try to elect people to our caucus and and build the Republican Party. Um, and it's difficult in California. So, there's been many of us that have that job, um, and I, it's a tough job to do. Everybody's uh, a targeted seat. Everybody wants money, and there's a limited amount of resources. And so, I raised a lot of money for the Republican Party. I raised. Uh, Frank Bigelow, Assemblymember Bigelow, and I were the top two fundraisers in our caucus. I raised $1.2 million, most of it from my district, from people I know uh, that believed in me. And I used that money and gave it to other Republicans. Didn't spend it on myself because I had a safe district. So, for example, my wife is in a safe Republican district. She donated the maximum amount that she's supposed to donate to her party, to her caucus, to help bring more people in. It's a team sport. Not always played by our team that way, but that's the, that's the way it is. And what really needs to happen in California is the Republicans need to unify. We need to build a, a donating machine that people do every year. It's part of your business plan to donate so we can push back because the Democrats are organized. Their unions are organized. They have an endless supply of money. And remember, politics is about name identification. It's, a, it's something I'm struggling with right now. Nobody in California knows who I am as you mentioned earlier, it's because why did Donald Trump win? Because everybody knew who Donald Trump was. Why did Donald Schwarzenegger win? Because everybody knew who the Terminator was. It's really a factor in winning races is name identification, and it takes money to do that. I, cannot, I can tell you the Democrats are very good at it. They're very, they know what the polls are, and they know what to say. I'll give you an example. Kevin McCarthy, or McCarty, who was assembly member in Sacramento, I'm in his district, so I see his flyers. My neighbors share them with me. There are a few Republicans I have in Sacramento. And his flyers say he stands up for public safety. It's a total lie. Mm. He votes against public safety all the time. But he put it on a flyer because he had the money to put it on a flyer. And people believe what they read. And if you have plenty of that to put out, you can get elected. And people go, oh, I'm for public safety. And, and so they'll vote for him. And it's not true. But the fact is, the Republican running against him has to expose that lie and it takes money to expose that lie and and that's the that's the situation republicans are in in california hmm. so i want to jump right into uh policies uh because you know we want to be mindful of your time and there's a lot to get to so we're going to try and hit all the hot button stuff right. as well as get to questions and comments from the chat uh let's first talk about water because you come from an agricultural area you know a lot about water you had sent something in, a, in another interview that floored me, and I, I'm not shocked because of the stat. I'm shocked that we allow this to happen about how much water we actually had and how much we were just kind of throwing away. Can you talk yeah, about so Gav, that? Gavin Newsom came out just last week and said we've been in a seven-year drought. That's a total lie. Number one, the wettest year in the, in the history of our state was 2018. Since we've been keeping records, 2018. Remember the Oroville Dam spillway broke, right? I'm close to Oroville right now. I'm in Orland, actually. It's, not, it's 10 miles from here. It broke. That was the wettest year in recorded history. Actually, Shasta, Oroville, and Folsom Dams were 105% full. How can they be that way? Because there's a freeboard. You know, the, the dam has some freeboard. They actually went above what they normally do to hold back water because the valley was flooding. They were 105% full. Here we are three and a half years later, and we don't have any water. It's because they let the water out. It's how we manage our water in California. California was designed, we have floods and droughts. It's nothing new. 
but they're letting the water out and it goes into the ocean. Once it hits the salt water, we can't use it anymore. We need to hold it back. We need to use our reservoirs as a system and, 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 and ability to be able to capture that water and use it for later dates. But we need more water in the system. Since it's been 35 years since we built any real infrastructure in California and the population has doubled, uh, so we need to build more water storage. The water's there. It just goes to the ocean. We need to capture it. Sites Reservoir is a great opportunity. Uh, here in Northern California, it's 1.2 million acre feet. Uh, it was funded in Prop 1. Not one shovel of dirt's been moved to build the reservoir. It's off-stream storage. The other thing I want to talk about water is that there's a watershed above those dams, millions of acres, that uh, we have stopped fire for the last 80 years. Fire naturally occurred in California every 10 years. The forest would burn. It would kill the little trees in the brush. And it left us with a beautiful forest with big trees, old growth trees, meadows. And now we have, a, in some cases, a thousand trees per acre. It's because we stopped fire. There's nothing to thin them out. Now we have all these trees and all this fuel. And then lightning strikes. The trees are stressed. They die from drought because there's too much. They're too overcrowded. It's like weeding your garden. We need to go out and thin the forest, allow those trees to stay alive after fire, which sequester carbon, mind you. A lot, remember what we breathe out, they breathe in. It's nothing new. But when the forest is hot, burns as hot and intense as it does, it devastates and sterilizes the ground. It takes 50 years for that forest to grow back. So we need to thin our forest. We can actually get more water out of the forest, and we can have a sequestering forest that actually sequesters carbon. One last point on the environment here. Gavin Newsom talks about climate change and tailpipe emissions. 41% of, of emissions come from tailpipes, so he's going to make you drive an electric car. That's not true. Forest fire is the biggest emitting of carbon in California, even though we're, and we're, we, we produce 1% of the world's carbon. We don't count forest fires. I did a bill that said we need to count the carbon from forest fires that died in the first committee because they don't want to count that because that means we'd have to focus on the biggest emitter, which is forest fire, by thinning our forest. Unfortunately, that's, that's, too, that's sad because Californians are thinking they're saving the environment by trying to drive up their electric rates, their gas rates, and put you in an electric car when the biggest emitter is forest fire and we don't do anything about it. And every time there's a fire, they do more regulations on your car. It isn't going to make it any difference. So those are the differences between me as an environmentalist and most of the legislature's environmentalist. I would say, and this is, you could tell me if this is realistic or not. I think we should have enough in infrastructure to have a water savings account of like five years. So we should know like how much water on average California uses and we should be able to have the infrastructure to say, okay, let's say five years so that we can weather the droughts, the wet seasons. And I would think that's enough time that in five years, you're probably going to get a couple of wet years. You're probably going to get a couple of dry years. But uh, I, I don't see why that's impossible. I would think that's realistic for California to do something like that. Is there oh, just not the willpower in Sacramento? The mostly the system is already in place. We need to add reservoirs above the reservoirs we have there's plenty of opportunities for that there's off-stream storage as well there's groundwater we can store in the ground as well um, but there's just a lack of really good policy and planning to do that and you know it's really hard to regulate people when there's an abundance of something when we're in a constant crisis you continually get regulated when there's a constant crisis for electricity when there's a constant crisis for uh, fuel when there's a constant crisis for wildfire we're in a crisis and that's easy to regulate you if we fix problems, there's no crisis. We're in a constant crisis under this leadership, and that's the problem. One thing uh, people always talk about with California is they call it a fuel island, right? 
that we can't get gasoline and we, we, we're just kind of out here on our own. And I think of that as in terms of gasoline and in energy together. But when I look at how much bountiful resources California has, when it comes to oil or technology, we should be, in my opinion, we should be the hub of all energy and fuel on the western coast of the United States. We should be sending out so much energy that Oregon and Nevada and Arizona, Idaho, they're buying energy from us. That's what I think. But it seems like we we tr- we live in this scarcity mindset where no, no, we can't have nuclear power because that's dangerous. Or we, no, we have to live off wind power because that's the only thing, or solar power, something like that. We can't have oil because oil is evil. Um, do you support like a an all of the above, which is what I so I think we need to do like an all of the above sort of energy and fuel policy when it comes to California? Yeah. Well, number one, we use one point eight million barrels of oil every single day. Every single day, California uses one point eight million. We have 1,200 oil wells in California waiting to be permitted at the desk of Gavin Newsom. They did 10 wells last year. It's pathetic. We're importing 24% of our oil from Ecuador, destroying the rainforest, by the way. He says he's for the environment. It's called global warming. It means it's global. If you're ruining the rainforest, they're not sequestering carbon there. We're burning that oil here. Why don't we produce it in California where we can do it more environmentally friendly with Californian jobs and the California tax base as well? Number two. Uh, they're focused on wind and solar, which are intermittent. They're not constant. There's a thing called geothermal. Most people don't even know about it. That's hot water in the ground. There's great places in uh, Imperial County. There's places in San Francisco. There's places up north where I live that we can tap into that. You just basically pump the hot water out, make electricity, put the water back down. It reheats, actually, because the earth is warm, and it's a cycle. It it's works when the sun's not shining and the wind's not blowing. Nobody talks about it. It's a great resource. We should tap into that. I will do that as governor. Make sure we tap into that. It's a clean energy source. The other thing we need for our grid is we need transportation uh, lines, electricity lines, so we can move power from one place to the other. We overproduce in some spots and underproduce in other spots. We just simply need to build a line. Californians pay, which you probably aren't aware, a, a billion dollars a year in rates, electricity rates, to pay other states to take our energy when we overproduce. Remember, you put one electron in, one has to come out. There is no storage. He talks about battery storage. It's a joke. It's not real. We don't have the battery capacity. It'll take mountains of batteries to store the amount that we need to actually run our state. I mean, this state uses almost 50,000 megawatts every hour. And I'm telling you, there isn't enough battery storage to to offset that for for even an hour. And it would take Mm -hmm. years to get there. We need to build 10 power plants the same size as, as Diablo, the last nuclear power plant in California, which they just turned back on, by the way, to service 30 million electric cars. So Gavin Newsom's plan is really not environmentally friendly. We have, we're destroying other countries to get the rare earth minerals that we need for batteries. We're destroying the rainforest in Ecuador. And we're really not changing global climate change. We're just making Californians think that they're getting something that, they're, that is not helping the environment. We produce 1% of the emissions worldwide, but we're the fifth largest economy. So what have we done? We've exported all of our jobs to China, like where they make concrete. They, they ship it in here. They make it with coal-fired power plants with slave labor, and Californians are paying for that. And we're, we're feeling good about the environment, but we're really not changing anything. That's wrong. It needs to change. We need those products that we use to be manufactured in California, 
by Californians. It will drive up our tax base. It will give Californians good paying jobs and, their, and the resources we need. And at the same time, we will drive down our uh, emissions for climate. Is there anything you could do on day one regarding energy as yes. becoming governor? Yes. Yeah. Make sure that CalGen permits those wells, do executive orders to move the transmission, put the transmission lines in place. Absolutely. There's a lot we can do. Mm-hmm. So the other thing on. You know, we have special blends for California gas. That's why the fuel went up 80 cents in the last week. They, they, you know, they need to do maintenance. We only use a certain type of oil and, or gas in California. It's a special blend. You can't get it from Nevada or Montana or anywhere else. We make it here. So we have a finite resource. And, it, and when, they, when they do maintenance, they have to shut down their plants. And that's why the, it's going up. And Gavin Newsom is talking about taxing them more. The biggest tax base in, on, on oil is California itself. $1.28 a gallon, I think it is, total in taxes is already taxed. And so the, the Californians are reaping the benefit, uh, uh, the California is, the state of those taxes right now. And that's why you're paying a dollar, $2 a gallon more. Well, that was what was funny about what Newsom just recently did with his grandstanding about, oh, it's because the oil companies are getting a windfall of profits and I want to tax them but he doesn't want to call a special legislative session to actually impose the tax. But then he's, while he's saying that in the background, he's secretly going to the oil, co- the, the refinery saying, by the way, can you switch to the winter blend as fast as possible? Because I know that our regulation on summer blend versus winter blend makes it more expensive. So he's already implicitly admitting that yes, our regulations make gas more expensive, not your, windfall profits or whatever he wants to blame on the big evil oil companies just keep in mind it's all about gavin newsom it's not about you it's about him running for president of the united states he'll do whatever he has to do to keep the lights on because he's in a bad way but at Mm -hmm. the end of the day he's punishing californians you can't afford to live here if you're on an hourly wage or you're a fixed income you're getting pummeled by the cost of gasoline the cost of electricity the cost of a loaf of bread we're in the trucking business in the last eight months, every single truck takes $200 a day more in diesel. The cost went up that much. So that's $1,000 a week. It's $4,000 a month. And we have to raise our price so we can compensate for the diesel. And that means every product that we haul goes up. So a loaf of bread, a gallon of milk, a two-by-four, everything you need to live has got to go up. That's why you're seeing inflation go up. The fastest way to give people in the California some relief is push down the cost of energy. And all those things that we have to make go cheaper and then it cheapens up in your store. We try to do the gas tax holiday. 54 cents equates to $1,600 per family a year. We asked for that last year at this time. By the way, we had plenty of money in the budget, $101 billion to backfill the budget with that tax to fix our roads. Uh, and you know they turned it down. Why is that? Because they want to give you a check here in the next couple of days for a couple hundred dollars to buy your vote. That's what it's about. It's not about taking the pain away from people. It's about buying your vote, telling you they're helping you and fooling the people once again. My wife is actually in the trucking industry and she has to deal with this all the time. Um, And her higher ups give her credit for having to deal with all the zany and crazy California regulations because nobody else wants to do what she does. Um, But she's constantly faced with California coming out and saying, okay, now trucks have to uh, adhere to this standard. And then all of a sudden they go, okay, well, how do we get to that standard? What are the specifics? And, and the state of California goes, 
I don't know. You just got to be there in 10 years. So good luck. And that seems to be the thing is it's good. If it's feel good, it looks good to pass a law, but then they never fill in the details of how anybody's going to get there. And then businesses likely just throw up their hands and say, well, we're not going to invest in California anymore because it's not worth it. We'll take our money and go to Idaho or Texas or somewhere else. Yes, you're absolutely right. I'm in the trucking business. It's frustrating that they make you change it without compensating you. It's a takings of private property, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, we've been fighting that. And that's what's driving up the cost for Californians. At the end of the day, it just continues to drive the cost. And that's across the board. It doesn't matter if it's in trucking or if you have a, a lawn mowing business. Now you have to get electric, uh, you know, weed blower uh, that you're going to have to figure out how to charge while you're out working. It's just crazy. So I wanted to leave some time for questions, but also we talked about, I want to play a little game with you um, and you agreed. So I give you credit for being bold enough to play this game. I was looking at all the list of state agencies in California and there's a lot. You can look this up. It's on the California uh, government website. Um, I'm not going to ask you every single one. I highlighted some for you um, and I'll probably even pare that down for time's sake. The rules of the game are, I'm going to ask you the name of the state agency. You either can choose to reform it, abolish it, or leave it as is. Um, And then we're going to do it like lightning round style. Give a quick like one minute summary of why you think it should be based on your choice. Let's start off at the top. The Air Resources Board. Needs majorly reformed. I would appoint a new commissioner. I'd bring back the power to the legislature. I think there is uh, room for some uh, that we could use. You know, there's some laws that come out there that are good for the most part. Totally needs reformed. The California Coastal Commission. Uh, Out of control. Doesn't allow development. We need to have um, uh, some say in uh, they are another agency that has too much power. We need to reel that back in and give it to the legislature. The Office of Digital Innovation abolish it and start over we have not done one thing to help streamline the dmv the edd they talk about it they don't do it we need to get silicon valley folks in here and let them put a program together we should have an app for all those things where we don't have to go and stand in line and then by the way get ripped off by 32 billion dollars because gavin newsom didn't require employers to make sure people were actually unemployed it's crazy yeah that always baffles me that in the state that brags about being Silicon Valley in the home of technology, our state government is like still stuck in like the 1990s. Like it's like just trying to get anything done in the state government is really archaic. Um, All right. California Department of Education. Start over. Start over. Just abolish it and start over. I mean, at the end of the day, CTA is Gavin Newsom's biggest supporter. They own him. We need to empower parents, uh, give parents the right to choose where their children go to school. The money should follow the kid, uh, the kids, and that would be a great start. Uh, that's a battle that will be fought at the ballot box, I believe, someday soon. Uh, I think Californians are ready for it. 50,000 students didn't show up to L.A. Unified School District this year, 27,000 last year. Uh, that's a good indication that parents, they didn't leave. They're looking for something better. And the, the one thing that was awesome about covid the only thing was parents realize what a horrible education their children were getting and they're pushing back. Thousands of, if not 
less than that, but a lot of a lot of people running for school board that have never ran for school board are getting involved in their their kids' education. It's awesome. We need that. We need to empower parents and stop the legislature from teaching things like gender identity at the age, you know, third grade, where we need to be teaching them reading, writing, and arithmetic. Not the we need to teach them ABCs, the one, two, threes, and not the birds and the bees. And parents understand that. They're showing up. I think that's what's going to be a big factor in this race, quite frankly, is that parents have had enough and they're, they're looking for something different and they're frustrated. And, you know, it's just it's insane to think that our schools have gone so far to uh, away from actually educating our children. You know, you can do whatever you want when you're 20 years old. I have no I no, I don't have, have a problem with that. But don't be telling our children that, you know, what gender they should think they should be or confusing them at a young age. I think that's inappropriate, and most parents do, and, and you're going to see a backlash for that. Uh, so everyone watching, get your questions ready. we got a couple more of these, so line up your questions for uh, Senator Dolly, just so he's ready to go. Uh, the California Film Commission. <laughs> well, actually, they're, they're, I don't think we need that. But we did do no. a film cre tax credit to keep keep – uh, filmmakers here in California, which I think is appropriate, but I think we should do that for every business. Give them a tax mm. break so they can stay. I mean, it's a good indication that, yeah, one great lobbying idea, but we should do it across the board. But yeah, I don't think we need a commission. The Department of Food and Agriculture. Yeah, we definitely need that. It needs some reform, though. Uh, obviously, I work in that area. It's uh, I, I'm regulated by the California Department of Food and Ag, so that make sure that I'm selling seed uh, that is germinates and that the, the supplier knows that it's pure. So I think there's a, definitely a place for that. Uh, there's obviously there's areas that we could do some work in there as well too. Health and human services agency. Yes, I agree. I think we need that. It needs some reform too. We need to be able to help, uh, people who are, have mental health issues uh, more. We need more clinicians, clinicians and less bureaucrats at the top. Uh, that's the problem with the homelessness is that Gavin Newsom started a bureaucracy from the top and we actually need to fund counties and cities. They're the ones that do the work on the ground. If we give them the tools, they're, they know better at the local level. Okay, this should be an easy one. The high-speed high speed rail authority. Oh, man, I hate that thing. I've, I've, I've railed on it. That's kind of a pun. Every year, they change they change administrators every three years. I've been there ten years. We got three new administrators, and the last one's always the problem. Uh, it's a boondoggle. They've spent over ten billion dollars. It was supposed to be completed by twenty twenty. Uh, we haven't laid one foot of track. They're talking about it being a single track, a diesel engine running it. It's not going to save the environment. It's a waste. I say I did a speech on the floor. I said, you know, I'm a farmer. Sometimes you don't get a very good stand, and you need to just plow your crop down. We need to do that with the high speed rail. No matter how much money you put in it, it's not going to give us a return. It's not going to, people aren't going to travel on it. And by the way, public transportation, people don't travel on it for one main reason. It's not safe. You can't mm. get on public transit without getting accosted by somebody. That's why people don't use it. They're not going to use it if we don't make it safe. And that's what we need to do. Abolish it. Build reservoirs and give, give people uh, their money back. I think if uh, it, this is just me, my opinion personally, I think Republicans in California should run on a platform that if enough legislators are elected and we get a governor, there should be a full scale investigation into where the heck all that money went to. 
like that forget january 6th and whatever dog and pony show they want to show out or whatever this committee on gas prices is that only met twice since june this should be a real investigative committee and our legislature should be going where the heck did all those billions of dollars go and and follow the the trail the biggest fraud of all time was the edd 32 billion dollars i believe it was a lot more than that it was stolen California businesses, we are going to have to pay that back. It's crazy. And Gavin Newsom single-handedly did that. He did not make the EDD. There's a part on the form. I know this because I'm an employer. When you lay somebody off, they fill out the form. They contact the business. Was this person laid off? You say yes. They get their benefits. During COVID, they just printed checks to whoever sent in an application, and they took that off of the form. That's on him. It's $32 billion plus dollars. Californians going to have to pay that back. That is the biggest fraud in history. They should throw him out of office just for that. Businesses are going to suffer in California for, for, for probably decades to pay that huge amount back. And it, and it also drove up inflation because it just dumped all that money into our system of people that didn't deserve the funds. So my uh, last question is before we uh, before we like transition to the audiences, you, you spoke a lot about how there's lots of things we can improve within the Republican Party. And the truth is, we do have a lot of demoralized Republicans. We had the lowest turnout for a primary. And so what's your message to those on how they can involve, get involved with the party, how to reform it, make it better, and just how to get involved with the process with, with the civics and you know getting involved with politics? So number one, Republicans are good at pointing out the faults of other Republicans. We're good at killing Republicans off. That's been a, a fact. So you don't know what it's like to go to war, your enemy's out ahead of you, and while you're going to war, somebody's stabbing you that's supposed to be on your team. It happens a lot in the Republican Party. We need to get on the same page. We need, you know, I, people, the word rhino, I, I, I'll take the worst Republican you ever can think of, the one you dislike the most, over any moderate Democrat. There's no such thing as a moderate Democrat. They get to the Capitol, they're squeezed by their party, and they fall in line. And then they tell them, hey, don't worry about it. We'll fund you to get elected, and it happens. So I want the, our party to unify. I want to stop bickering amongst ourselves. I want us to get out and vote. You know, the biggest fraud, they talk about election fraud, the biggest fraud was 2.5 million people didn't vote in the recall, Republicans. Get out to vote. Go get your neighbors. And they ballot harvesting. They hate the word harvest. I'm a farmer. I love harvest. It's the best time of year. Let's go harvest those ballots. It's legal to do in California. Whether you think it's constitutional or not, doesn't matter. Today in California, get your neighbor's ballot. Take it in, turn it into the clerk, and let's take back California. We could, I wouldn't be running if I didn't think we could win. I know the system has some flaws. There's no doubt. But we have, to, we have to show up and we have to vote. And this is the perfect year for it. Joe Biden is horrible. And they're not energized. In, in, a, in a midterm election, the party that's in control of the White House, which is the Democrats right now, typically always lose seats. This is our opportunity to turn out all we have and we can take back. They're not excited about anything. They have nothing to be excited about. As the worst polling in the history of our nation as a as a president. And Gavin Newsom's running for that job. So right now is the time to unify as Republicans. Get out to vote. There's one thing I can stress in this whole thing. Please take your ballot. Go get your neighbor's ballot. And take it to the polling place and turn it in. Vote. So I had one more agency. And it's probably going to be right. a real, real quick one. Department of Motor Vehicles. Oh, uh, yeah. It needs a complete overhaul. We need to take the engine out, throw it away, and put a new one in. 
Excellent. Yeah, no one wants to wait in the three or four hour lines. I will tell you this. When I become governor, I'm going to make it on an app so you don't have to go there and stand in line. I just went and did my real ID, and I had to go three times to get it right. And I'm a state legislature. That's, that's, I like that idea. Never have to step foot in a DMV. All right, let's, let's get to the question portion. Camille asks if elected governor, what is the first executive orders you would implement or bill you would veto? Well, I, there's a whole list of bills that we don't know which bills are going to come, but I could tell you that, you know, a lot of these bills that came in the last go around, I would have vetoed, you know, the, the one about the oil well setback. We're going to lose 6,000 wells in California in the next couple of years. I would have vetoed that bill. I would have vetoed the the uh, a gender identifying bill last year. Totally would have vetoed that. I mean, I, I would probably use my veto pen more than it's been used in a long time. Uh, but as far as executive orders, I really don't think it's the proper thing. I think there is a, 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 when we're in a, a emergencies, we should use executive powers. Uh, I would do that for, for transmission. We are an ele- electricity problem, and I would do that for transmission. Uh, lines for sure. And I would do that to uh, fast track uh, the ability to put on new uh, generation in California so we can drive down the cost of uh, electricity and fuel. All right. Another question. Uh, Can you work with pro-freedom legislators to decriminalize the exercise of Second Amendment in California? So um, question always comes up for Republicans, I guess. Work with it because California uh, has so many regulations regarding the Second Amendment. Would you work to kind of get rid of that stuff? So, look, number one, I, I voted. I have a really great voting record when it comes to the Second Amendment. I don't want to penalize law abiding citizens anymore. They have plenty of regulations. I'm a firearm owner myself of many of them. And uh, and I don't I don't vote for that. I want to get the firearms out of criminals hands. We have felons running around. We know have uh, firearms that shouldn't have them. That's the first thing I would do as governor is make sure we fund local agencies, local sheriffs to go out and get those guns out of the hands of felons that we know are out there. They're the ones causing the crime, not law-abiding citizens. Uh, Let's see. What is the most pressing issue facing California today? That's a big question. First day in office, what is your focus? Drive down the cost of inflation. The biggest thing people are faced with today is putting food on the table surviving in California. And we do that through the policies I talked about in energy. Number one, out of the gate. Number two, crime. We would, I would appoint a parole board. I would fire the parole board that Gavin Newsom has in place. I would appoint a parole board that will make people serve their sentences and not be let out early. And uh, we have to have, we have to have actually uh, tough on crime policies. You cannot uh, have a society where you have lawlessness and that's exactly what we have. There's no punishment for crime. I'll work every day to put criminals back in jail. Uh, this one, I think, is right up your alley. How will you rebuild our California agriculture to make it robust again? <clears throat> Excuse me. How will you help with water and our suffocating electrical grid? Number one, build more uh, storage for water. Uh, the grid, again, I talked about transmission and getting on sources that aren't uh, intermittent, like wind and solar or something that, like geothermal that works uh, in the time when the wind's not blowing, the sun's not and it's clean. Uh, let's see, Anthony Cabasa, who you know very well, is watching. He said, what's your favorite football team and favorite baseball team? And what's your favorite hobby? Uh, actually, um, I really don't have my, my I, I was a Seattle Seahawks fan only because my brother was a Raiders fan. 
And uh, they used to beat the Raiders way back in the day on Monday Night Football. They stunk for years. So that's just a rival between me and my brother. He's a big Raiders fan. I don't really have a, a favorite team. I watch. I love. I played football when I was in high school, and I played baseball, uh, and played sports. Uh, my son's a wrestler, but uh, uh, so I, I don't have a team. Baseball. Uh, been a Giants fan because I'm from Northern California, but uh, I, I've been to uh, as many Dodger games as I have Giants games, and so I like to watch them both. Uh, and I love the rivalry between the two cities. It's awesome. My favorite pastime is um, really just spending time with my family. I. You know, I'm a farmer and I've been elected for all these years and been, I'm, a, I'm away a lot. And so I love to just uh, get this barbecue. I, I have a Traeger. I love to smoke uh, meat and cook for my family. We always get the cornhole out, have a little tournament, get our neighbors over. That's my downtime is just spend time with my community and my family. What's your go-to meat? Because I'm a fellow smoker as well. What's your go-to meat? That you, you have family coming over, you want to impress them all. What's your go-to meat? Is it pulled pork? Is it a brisket? A tri-tip? What is I gotta it? I got to tell you, I'm, I, I make a mean tri-tip, but I'm really, the, I'm getting good at the brisket. And I'm, I'm really starting to perfect that. And I'm pretty good at making uh, turkeys. I, I love to smoke them, completely smoke them. So put them mm. on super smoke and smoke it till it's done. And then let it rest for a day. Actually throw it in the fridge. Let that smoke soak in and then peel it out, make sandwiches and just eat it. Oh, it's the best. I'll have to try that. Yeah, I'm, I haven't, I tried brisket once and I don't think I cooked it to the right temperature. It wasn't quite fall off the bone or it wasn't quite pull apart yet, but I'm going to marinate it, it for, uh, marinate it for a while in the, in the fridge, throw a, a can of seven up in your marinade. Just try it. I know it sounds crazy. Throw a can of seven up in there and let that roll around or Coke. It breaks it down mm. a little bit, put it either marinated and then smoke that baby and you'll, you'll love it. Oh, I'm going to try that oh. now. Uh, how will you lessen homelessness? Would you be open to work with someone like uh, Schellenberger, Michael Schellenberger, who ran for governor as well? Yeah, I met with him. I've talked with him. Uh, homelessness uh, is is a complicated issue. As, as you know, I've talked about drug addiction. That's number one. Number two, all the things I talked about. The other thing I want to do is partner with faith-based communities. They have done a great job of actually getting people off of uh, drugs and on a pro- on a pathway forward. Our, unfortunately, our government does not partner with faith-based communities with money. It's unfortunate because they actually have way better results. And there's many examples throughout our state of faith-based community folks um, that actually help people in a more productive way with a, with a lot less m- funds than we do at the state level. So I want to partner with them. And we might have to run that through the legislature to get it done, but that's something I will champion. So we want to be mindful of your time. You got a lot to do. You got a lot of traveling to do. Um, thank you for coming on. Obviously, open invitation if you want to come back on uh, and we can continue because there's so many topics to get to. Why don't you tell everybody where they can learn more about you if people want to get involved in the campaign? There are a couple of questions about people wanting to volunteer and help out with the campaign. Uh, why don't you let people and the viewers know? All about so that. we're on all social media platforms, you know, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we have a website, BrianDally.com. You can look, we have docu series. You can see me on the farm. We have a, some videos. We have a lot of stuff on there. We have campaign sidekick. If you want to make calls and you want to get out the boat, we have a team that does that as well. Uh, so co- go to our website. That's a place to start. We have uh, you know people that do that for us. Uh, and just get out, mainly I want you to donate. If you can donate 
10, 20 bucks. It makes it, you know, if a thousand people give you 10 bucks, that's $10,000 and that's real money. And it makes a big difference. Uh, we're, we're focusing on uh, Latino community where there are a lot of t Latinos coming out to us uh, and people are doing their own videos uh, in Spanish. It's awesome. We're getting a lot of traction there. We're excited about that. Uh, but yeah, go to, go to my website, get out the vote. I just beg and plead with you to, to go out and vote, get your neighbors to vote, donate if you can, and just tell somebody, do your part. I'm doing mine. We're in a position to take back this state. I know it's a long shot, uh, but so was it for David when he beat Goliath. At the end of the day, you got to go to work. He, he put some rocks in a sling, and that's what made the difference. So uh, I thank you for having me on. It's been awesome. It's good to see you, Cynthia, again. Uh, look, to, look forward to meet you in person, Phil. Yeah, hopefully soon. Um, well, with that, Senator, thank you for coming on. Best of luck in your travels and in your campaign. As always, if you want to come back on, we're more than happy to have you on. Um, and have a great night, everybody. As always, if you like this podcast, uh, I always ask, I always end it with one way. Share it, text it with somebody, especially this one. This is one podcast you should definitely text to as many people as possible be like have you heard of this brian dolly guy he's got solutions check him out listen to this podcast um and make sure you like share subscribe review all that stuff so with that have a good night everybody later God bless. thank you Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 